Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show, a Cinderella curfew for hospitality as the government imposes a midnight closing time on pubs and clubs to combat COVID. No one wants to go back to a world of widespread restrictions. That is what this evening is about. That is what these changes are about. Only thing is we have the vaccine now and the booster. So that should help. Well, if it has to be done like that, well, it has to be done like. People should, should keep to the restrictions. It's also back to working from home from Friday. We have live debate and analysis of the new measures. And later, Tipperary farmer Patrick Quirk loses his appeal in the Mr Moonlight murder case. Get in touch with us on our hashtag, TonightVMTV. government has reintroduced some restrictions as it struggles to battle a winter wave of coronavirus cases. In his latest address to the nation, the Taoiseach said pubs and clubs are facing a midnight curfew from Thursday night and employees are being urged to work from home from Friday. Vaccine passes are to be extended to cinemas and theatres, but not gyms and hairdressers. The surge that we are now experiencing is a dramatic reminder of what this virus can do and the threat that it continues to represent. We need to act now to deal with this surge. I'm joined by Pete Lunn from the Economic and Social Research Institute, People Before Profit TD, Paul Murphy, and from Government by Minister of State for Transport, Hildegard Nocton. But joining me first tonight is Donal O'Keefe of the Licensed Fitners Association with reaction to all of this, in particular, I suppose, for your sector, um, that midnight curfew, the closure at midnight, and your reaction to that coming less than a month after you were allowed reopen everything. Well, it's a very difficult and stressful day for everybody connected with the late bar and nightclub industry. Extremely uncertain future for our owners and their families, for our staff, for our suppliers, and indeed a disappointing development for our customers. We had such a warm response to our reopening three weeks ago. And to be back now with late bars and nightclubs obliged to close by midnight is deeply, deeply disappointing. Yeah, so you're open, as I say, less than a month now and you were looking into um, a Christmas or a festive season that you, you would have hoped you could recoup some losses. So what sort of damage do you think this will do to the sector? Well, it's going to do ferocious damage economically, but the bigger question for us is now, where do we go from here? We've had the longest hospitality lockdown in the world and that has not proved sufficient to get us open sustainably. We've had one of the best vaccine rollouts in Europe with 93% of adults fully vaccinated, and that hasn't proved uh, sufficient to get us open sustainably. We're limiting our businesses to customers who have vaccine, vaccine certs, COVID certs, and that doesn't allow us to open. 
So we need an urgent conversation with government about a meaningful plan that allows the sector to reopen, to trade safely and sustainably. Going in and out of lockdowns, having endured the longest lockdown in the world, is an economic disaster for us and for our staff. OK, I want to bring Hildegard Nocton um, in on this now. Um, your reaction there, there's obviously a lot of anger from the nighttime industry to what's been announced today, um, that from midnight, everything will have to close, that shutdown will happen. How do you know, how, how is this midnight time um, come at? Like, how, do, how is that decision made? Well, I suppose, first of all, it's important to say that we're, you know, because the cases are rising and the advice from NEFIT that government have to act and the, the hour of midnight, so there has to be some cut-off point in relation to this, what we want to do is to ensure that we're minimising uh, people contact, uh, contracting this, this virus. Um, we have, I suppose, the two main areas of, of COVID outbreaks is in the households, in households and in workplaces. And also we want to minimise people's social interactions and that's, I suppose, where the, the midnight... Um, curfew comes into play but there's a number of I suppose calls here um, from government today and one is to work from home um, where you can from this this Friday unless it's absolutely essential mm -hmm. that you go into the workplace and the second then is uh, if you're a close contact of somebody who has tested positive for COVID you will be sent um, antigen tests uh, by the HSE and you'll have okay. to test yourself on day one day three and day five yeah. And we'll get on to those points around antigen testing um, and indeed the other decisions that have been made. But just back to the situation with our pubs and clubs and, and the nighttime industry. Um, Donald there looking for supports, looking for a strategy, a plan, a plan for an industry that held out for so long for people to be vaccinated, to be allowed to reopen and then to be hit by this less than a month into that reopening. Will there be a plan for them? Well, there is. There's already a number of supports in place, like the employment wage subsidy scheme. And it's important to say that this is not a shutdown of, of businesses like we had previously last year. Uh, this is a curfew. Um, it's there a will shutdown be, there for are, nightclubs. There, yeah, there will be. And, and, and absolutely, I, I, I know this is a difficult time for uh, nightclubs, for uh, late opening bars. And there are staff there who are really worried about their jobs. But it's important to say that the Department of Social Protection has um, many supports in place there. Um, when somebody loses their job, they can go into the interior office and, uh, and we're all very aware of the number of um, job vacancies right across the country. If you go into any restaurant, cafe, um, there are a huge amount of businesses who are crying out for workers. So what we want to do is ensure that we can um, keep businesses open and we hope that if people adhere to these measures, okay. I mean, ensure that you wear your mask, your social distancing and people and businesses yes. ensure that they're asking for the COVID passes they're coming in, we can um, ensure that businesses can stay open. We want people to be safe and we want to keep okay. our economy open. All and right. that's what these All measures right. are for. And As it's not perfect. I understand that. And I know businesses are, are frustrated. They but there are. are supports there in place that have been in okay. place today. I want, just want to get some reaction to this, Paul Murphy. You were shaking your head the minute Hildegard mentioned supports for yeah, people who are now worried about their livelihoods. Because if, for example, you work in a nightclub, let's say you just, you know, you're bar staff in a nightclub, or let's say you're a DJ in a nightclub, you've been out of work for a long portion probably of this pandemic. You may have recently gone back to work. Now you're likely to be made unemployed again as a consequence of the situation we're in with COVID and all the bad decisions made by the government. And the government has made clear, and it's repeated again, you're not going back on the pandemic unemployment payment. You, all you're getting is the dole. And so what was accepted previously, that people are out of work, 
through no fault of their own, there's a pandemic happening, we have to give people 350 euros. That has been cut again today, for some to 203, for others to 250. But most scandalously, if you are out of, if you're in work yesterday and you try to go back on the PUP, you simply can't access it. That at a time when Christmas is coming up. It's, it's an incredibly hard... And then the government says, oh, no, don't worry, you'll work somewhere else. So we, we all know the direction of where things are going, that unfortunately, because of the lack of action by the government on ventilation, on schools, on workplaces, we're heading back to some sort of lockdown. And therefore, the sectors that you're talking about are going to get closed down again. And is the government going to keep we're saying... We're not closing we're not down <laughs> the sectors. And it's very important to say we're in a very, very different position than at the start of this pandemic, when the pandemic unemployment payment was introduced by Regina Doherty at the time, Minister for Social Protection, with Pascal Donoghue, where we were closing down the whole country. We are now reopening. And there are we're jobs and vacancies. There, we have been over the last... Sorry, if I can... If we're we're in a, you are being again. very disingenuous at the moment. I, I understand, first of all, that there are workers are going to be potentially losing their jobs if you work in a nightclub. Mm -hmm. But there are a huge amount of other businesses, cafes, bars, restaurants, who are crying out for um, em employees, labour. So we the see the, the signs. We see. We see the. We see the signs. I'm not saying every. I'm hosts. not saying every single. I'm not saying every single but worker. But my people? point is, you know, you, you know very well, and we all see the signs where uh, staff okay. required. And I have to say, anyone who cannot get a job, there are supports there within the Department of yes, Social and Protection. You've mentioned those we have before. one of the best social protection okay. um, you know, systems we, in, in Europe in relation to this. What I want to say is, is that we will be constantly monitoring this in relation to the trajectory of this virus and where further supports are needed, we will provide them. But to say that they don't have support is, is not true. Okay, what we need to do let's is manage the virus. Let's, let's hear from briefly, can we hear from Donald O'Keefe on this? Um, Donald, just that, that discussion around supports there. Um, when you're looking for um, strategy and you're looking for a plan going forward, uh, what supports immediately would you like to see if you were to have a, a meeting now um, with, with the Minister, with Government on this? What are your immediate requests? The Government need to confirm in the morning that the Chris support scheme for businesses becomes available for late bars and nightclubs who now um, are required to shut at midnight. Clearly the bulk of our turnover in normal trading occurs between midnight and 2.30am. We're being forced to close that part of our business for public health requirements. So we believe Chris should come into play. In addition, the wage subsidy scheme needs to be maintained at the current rates of payment. It is due to be, to be tapered starting on the 1st of December. Okay. For those businesses who are going to have to lay off staff now, if they could retain them on the wage subsidy scheme, that would be important. And finally, the commercial rates waiver that is currently in place now needs to be confirmed to remain All in right. place for long, as long as these restrictions are, are there. Okay, thank you for joining us tonight with your reaction to that news today, Donald O'Keefe. Um, I want to move on to the public sentiment around this. Um, when the Taoiseach stood up today, he was announcing grim news um, really, you know, in terms of what we must do now and what has to be done to curb these rising um, virus numbers. What's the public mood like around a reintroduction to stringent measures, more restrictions? So what we know um, is that we got to the point where, when asked a direct question, a representative sample of the population yesterday were asked the direct question, would you like to see more restrictions introduced? And more of them said yes than no. So we got to the point this week where the public mood had clearly really swung, because that hasn't been true for a long time now. Throughout, throughout most of 2021, that's not been true. 
Um, and yesterday, that latest sample, that's exactly what it shows, that we, we got to that point. There was a swing that began about two or three weeks ago where having been really evenly balanced throughout 2021 of people saying, actually, the pace we're trying to return to normal is about right, it's about appropriate, with a minority saying it was too fast and a minority saying it was too slow, pretty balanced. Mm. In the last three or four weeks, that's really, really changed. So the number of people who think we're going too fast, trying to return to normal too quickly, has trebled, it's now substantially higher. So there's been a real shift in public sentiment within the last three or four weeks, particularly within the last couple of weeks, and I think that's probably to do with the message sinking in that this isn't just case numbers it's also hospitalizations. But isn't the trouble here that our behavior isn't changing? Well, I don't know whether we call it trouble or not. It depends how you look at it. So if we want personal responsibility to be our way out of this, rather than coordinated government decisions about what's okay and what isn't to do, then that system, it seems to me, just hasn't responded the way we wanted it to. So as case numbers began to increase and it began to become clear how serious this latest surge was, if personal responsibility was going to work for us without us having to introduce restrictions again, it needed to kick in. We needed to see the public start to reduce their, their level of risky behavior, reduce their level of social activity, and keep up mitigation as well, keeping mm. distance, wearing masks, and so on, to reduce the level of infection. That's what needed to happen. Now, our study shows, and also other studies too, but I mean, our data very clearly show that that did not happen. There is now a very small, belated behavioral response from the public, but it, it hasn't happened until now. And the change in opinion about what the government should do is far, far bigger. Right, okay. So it seems that we're so used to being told what to do that we, we still clearly want that. And this idea around public, about personal responsibility that was pushed so strongly um, by NEFIT and by government that we need, to, we do need to do more, we need to remember to wash our hands, wear that mask, that, that buy-in just isn't there anymore, Hildegard. I think when people see, certainly over the last few days, the pressure on the health system, and I think it does resonate with people in relation to having to control this virus and it will come down to personal responsibility and it does and, and governments can make, can, working, can make whatever. I think, I think when, and I, I'll just take my own, my own personal uh, behaviour, like a number of months ago, I suppose I was, if I went out for a dinner or went to a coffee shop, you'd have your, ma your mask on and I was very anxious about, you know, you know, social distancing and I could feel myself relaxing over the last you know, few weeks thinking, you know, everything is fine. But when you see now the numbers going up and the pressure on our health system, um, and I think, I certainly think tonight as well, when people see the, the, the possible trajectory of this virus and that we have the power within in our own hands and, I, and that's where I am appealing to, suppose, to businesses as well um, in order to stay open to ensure that they're asking for the COVID cert as people go in. If you are a customer and you walk into a premises and you're not asked, you need to keep yourself safe and walk away and it is through that self-enforcement and ensuring that we're all yeah. doing what we can to wear our masks and uh, protect the but most vulnerable true. within our own families as well because that is what it comes down to. That's no, true. It is what it comes it's, down to. No, it is. What, what, do, what does it come no, down to? It's not. Personal responsibility will only get us so far. Personal responsibility by anybody apart from the government cannot increase our ICU capacity. Personal responsibility cannot provide free antigen, antigen tests. In particular, personal responsibility, you can be as personally responsible as you want, but if we don't have any legislation about clean air, about ventilation, 21 months into an airborne pandemic, 
well, you're really restricted. Are you we saying need, that ventilation alone is going to solve our problems I, I, here? What I'm, we're I'm saying, saying in government... If I, if I can yeah. answer the question. Yeah. I'm Vent saying that ventilation... Ventilation is a silver bullet. Is that the, what you're the, saying? The, no, the, the government... It sounds like that's what you're saying. The government messaging continues to be around hand-washing and so on, and people actually follow, follow those messages. There was nothing, not a single word, from the Taoiseach this evening about the question of ventilation. Okay. Ventilation, it's, there's a reason that we say it's safer, it's much safer for people to be outside than inside. It's why we need to have HEPA filters in all of our classrooms. That could be done for 10 million euros, that's what Germany has done. It's why we have to follow the example of Belgium, which says in pubs, in restaurants, in schools, in workplaces, we need to have CO2 monitors so you can see whether it's safe. And if it goes over 900 parts per okay. million, well then... We have that a because there have been just two separate reports out. You're, 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 you're giving the impression that... Can I ask I will, you I just about that. ventilation? Because yeah. look, it comes up yeah, all the time as yeah. a mitigation measure. There have been two separate reports on ventilation. Um, that have been done for government. Uh, and what's, been, what's, what's happened as a result of those reports? Okay. And what's happening in our schools regarding um, you know, those, those filters that we talked about there that would provide that cleaner air yeah. for, for children and for First teachers? of all, in relation to ventilation, very important, only one, one layer. What we're looking at here in government, and I will answer the question, is, uh, yes, all the social distancing, the mask wearing, all of that, the COVID cert, it's been asked for that when you go into premises. The rollout of the third dose now, which is this booster, um, ensuring that we are adhering to all the public health advice. The CO2 monitors in our schools, uh, 30, over 35,000 have been distributed to primary to primary schools and secondary schools across the country. There are, there is, there are uh, officials within the Department of Education who are working solely in relation to ventilation with schools, whose schools, primary and secondary schools, can contact across the country. But to say that ventilation alone is what's going to get what? us out no, of this... But that. That's, that, that, that seems to be your only solution you here tonight. Any, that's why, your only solution. What we're going to do is... There's the only voluntary program. guidance. We'll the there is no legislation about yeah. clean air 21 months into a pandemic. We are and we have known that it's the primary way that it is transmitted, either by droplets, aerosols, or it's sitting it in one the air. Part, That's a, okay. It is one well, part, why don't we it's have vaccination, on it? it's social distancing, on it? it's equipping our, our health system. I want, to get, on, I want to get on to a couple of other measures just on this, just um, on a government signalling and, and messaging and how that works with the public. When that decision was made, say, to reopen the likes of, of nightclubs um, less than a month ago, what sort of signal did that give, do you think, to the public in terms of their behaviour, their attitude towards this pandemic? Well, certainly all of the policy decisions that get made come with a social message as well. And I think that came with a message of some degree of optimism that we were going to manage to keep the case numbers under control and we managed to keep hospitalizations under control. I do have some sympathy here. I mean, I'm completely independent of government, but I think we were pioneers, actually. I mean, the idea that we could just look to other countries for a good strategy here, I don't think is true. Um, we were actually pioneers. We had this incredibly high vaccination rate but also started at a stage where we had a very high prevalence of the Delta variant and a lot of disease within the community. Um, nobody else had done what we were about to do. So I don't think anyone actually knew what was going to happen to the case numbers uh, any more than like two or three weeks out. And even then, actually, the error bars surrounding the projections are, are really, really wide. So it's important to understand, I think, from a scientific point of view, that there's huge uncertainty here. I actually think the public have got pretty good at that. 
From our own estimates, I would suggest that actually the public have got pretty good at understanding that the scientific community only has a rough idea of what's coming around the mm -hmm. corner because we're in uncharted territory. And, you know, speaking as a scientist sitting at this desk, you know, I mean, I, I wish I had the level of certainty that's expressed by some others about there was no, scientific facts. There was an awful lot of hope put around, say, the vaccine, the vaccine rollout, and the compliance rate as a result was really high in this country, but it hasn't managed to stem those very high numbers as a result. Do you think there was too much hope put around the likes of vaccines in, in terms of, you know, well, to changes you, to, people, people's behaviour? To use the academic jargon, you've always got to ask, what is the counterfactual, right? Which is a fancy way of saying, what would have happened if we hadn't had the vaccine? And what I think would be happening now if we hadn't had the vaccine was we would be in a total lockdown. I mean, the vaccine has, is what's allowed us to get as far as we've gotten, what is allowing us to have the freedom that we have now. But I want to go right back to something about the science communication here. Right when we first learned that the Pfizer vaccine, which was the first one to report, back when we first learned how effective it was, Good scientists said, that's brilliant about how effective it is, but we don't know what it's going to do to transmission, and we don't know what's going to happen as new variants come along. Now, that uncertainty has stayed with us, and unfortunately, while when we rolled the dice on how effective the vaccine was, we probably threw a six. They turned out to be way, way more effective than we thought. When it came to transmission, and when it came to variants, mm. well, maybe we threw a two, right? There's a huge amount of uncertainty that feeds into this. And in order to solve this problem, Right? Taking kind of fixed positions and arguing from them is not the way to do it. Right? We have to embrace the uncertainty that we're faced with. And the funny thing is, our data actually suggests the public have got pretty good at that. Okay. And we've watched expectations swing hugely just within the last couple of weeks, where an expectation from the majority of the public that restrictions would be tightened came from nowhere in okay. about two weeks. So um, the uncertainty certainly is there, Hildegard. But just on that, on that note, as we're approaching Christmas, do you think the government can give us any sort of certainty, any sort of target? Usually at these addresses to the nation there's a there's a hope there's a there's a timeline if we get to this point then things will get better we didn't get that today um, no, because but what we did get is, I suppose, the measures that we need to, to look at, and that's the, the workplace, working from home, um, ensuring that if you are a close contact of somebody, uh, the HSE will send you those antigen tests, and you need to take one on day one, day three, and day five. Also, it's important to say as well, the rollout of the vaccination programme has been absolutely uh, key in ensuring that if you do contract this virus, that you you largely don't become seriously ill. And it's important to say that those who have COVID in hospital, 40% of those are unvaccinated. And they represent 15% of our population, okay. which really shows the power of getting vaccinated. And this third dose, the booster, is going to be a okay. real key in, in, in dealing with this. And if you look at Israel as a great example of that, it shows that our immunity from the third vaccine, the booster, will be... Um, a, you and know, the question hugely. is, will everyone, will everyone get it at this point? OK, we'll have to leave it there. My thanks to Hildegard Nocton for joining us. And coming up after the break, winter lockdowns across Europe and what our latest restrictions might mean for personal freedoms. The rest of our panellists staying on. Stay with us. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, countries across Europe have been introducing new lockdown restrictions in a bid to battle the latest winter virus wave. Before we came on air, I spoke to your News Europe correspondent, Shona Murray, about the various lockdown measures in place right across the continent. Well, the German health minister, Jens Spahn, has called this fourth wave uh, the pandemic of the unvaccinated because of the disproportionate number of people who are not only in hospital unvaccinated, but mainly in the ICUs unvaccinated. And we heard from, for example, the Belgian coronavirus commissioner who said that people aged between 18 to 64 are 14 times more likely to end up in ICU because of the potency of things like the Delta variant and the fact that the vaccinated will have some protection, even if they've underlying symptoms or they're elderly or their vaccine has waned. So this is the problem really across Europe to an extent. And if you look at, for example, Germany, where they're considering a partial lockdown for those who are unvaccinated or at least heavier restrictions, there's a fluctuation around those who are vaccinated in the east of the country, about 57% vaccinated. And around the West, it's 80%. But you have cases across Germany, 300,000 per, 300 per 100,000. But in the East, uh, 465. So it's real fluctuations there. And there's a drive really for people to get vaccinated, despite saying they won't. Similarly, if you look at Austria, um, smaller country, obviously, but they've already started uh, restrictions for unvaccinated, the uh, lockdown for unvaccinated people, essentially. If you're not vaccinated, you can only have limited access to services like supermarkets, shopping, going for a walk and to get vaccinated. If you're vaccinated, you can go to restaurants, bars, etc. The Chancellor there is saying that it's essentially he said it was a disgrace that they only have 65% of the adult population vaccinated. And there's, there's, there's sort of reports and assessments as to why this is in both um, Austria and Germany, where there's very low vaccination rates. You have influences like the far right, not in all circumstances, but like the Freedom Party in Austria, the alternative for Deutschland in parts of East Germany as well. Um, although having said that, the Netherlands is similar to Ireland and has high vaccination rate and has already started uh, something of a lockdown where everything is open, but there's closures at 8 p.m. That's going to go on for three weeks. And then if you look across Europe to other countries, Claire, I mean, Bulgaria has a vaccination rate of around 23%. I mean, this is the country that has access to the best vaccines in the world, but you have such a dramatically low uptake. Parts of Greece is the same. Uh, they've, well, 65% vaccination by rate, but, you know, fluctuates. And there's also an investigation into the fact that possibly thousands of vaccine certs have been fraudulently made, which means unvaccinated people have been sort of going through uh, society without having tests and, you know, fraud has ensued. Yeah, so just to, um, just for the example, for the Netherlands, for example, uh, bars, restaurants, supermarkets having to close at, at eight o'clock at night and sports matches played in empty, empty stadiums again. What's been the reaction from people to those new enhanced measures and indeed um, restrictions that we're seeing in places like Italy where there's this green pass in order to get around the country? 
Well, similar to initially that uh, you have that also here in Belgium, uh, your your Belgian uh, COVID safe pass, which has your details on it uh, as to whether you're being vaccinated. And you like, for example, if you want to go to the gym, if you want to go any public place, any restaurant, cinema, anything, you need to show your pass. And that's that's only been in place here in Belgium for the past few weeks. And that's similar to what they're doing in Italy. Um, in the Netherlands, there has been obviously there were people, there were protests about this. Um, and there's, you know, there's concerns about the societal impact because to a certain extent, people who are vaccinated are annoyed that they're having to go through this lockdown. When you look at the figures that, you know, even though there are, unvac- are vaccinated people in hospital, it's mainly the unvaccinated in their opinion that is driving uh, these numbers, or at least the hospitalizations and the impact on the hospital service. And then you also have people who say, well, obviously, I don't want to get vaccinated. So therefore, you're but you're discriminating against me. So there's really concern, the huge concerns about the societal and political impact of this. But um, I th- all governments are really just saying that everyone needs to get vaccinated, but they're taking their own measures. Like here in Belgium, mm. uh, the government is not is calling for people to work from home. Making They haven't made it mandatory yet, but that could happen. They've also started out their um, booster campaign. They said they weren't going to give boosters to everybody for ethical reasons, because obviously developing countries don't have access to them. But now they are going to give uh, boosters for everyone. But for example, they're not closing the nightlife. I mean, nightclubs uh, here in Brussels are open till 8am and that appears to be that it'll remain to be so. Christmas markets, you'll require to go into them if they're open, that you'll have your COVID cert. Some have been closed down across Europe. Munich one is closed down and one in the Netherlands too. Okay, well, there we'll have to leave it. Shannon Murray, thank you very much for that insight from Europe tonight. And joining us now is Liam Herrick from the Irish Council of Civil Liberties, Pete Lunn from the ESRI and TD Paul Murphy are still with me. And I want to come to you first when we're hearing about what's happening across Europe and what struck me is really what's happening in particular in Austria where they've low vaccination rates and now they're locking down people who are unvaccinated for the next 10 days in order to stem the rising COVID numbers there. From a civil liberties point of view, what, what's your reaction to what we're seeing across Europe? What's happening in Austria is, is disturbing. I think, Claire, I mean, we've got there a situation where sta- the state is imposing restrictions against one section of the population. I think it was welcome that the teacher came out and very emphatically said that that's not something that would be countenanced here. I think I- even in Austria, I think there's profound questions about inequality, discrimination, compatibility with human rights law, and certainly in an Irish context, there'd be constitutional issues, I think, about it. I think what we are seeing is a difficult situation. And, you know, we in the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, we support the public health effort, we support the vaccine programme. But the government, when it's making the choices at the moment, our government and all the other governments as well, it has many tools at its disposal. Some of them have an impact on equality and human rights, and some of them don't. And there's a lot of measures the government is taking that are about supports, things like investing in ventilation, making testing freely available, um, contact tracing in schools mm. and so on, that you know, aren't impactful on our rights. There's impositions such as requiring people to wear masks that are of only slight impact on our rights. But then we've got things like uh, the vaccine cert system, which is a form of discrimination against one section of the population. Uh, and I think that, that is uh, something that is problematic And from our point of view, if the government is going to rely on this particular tool to the extent that it has, it would want to be making a more convincing argument about the benefits. And I think it would also be trying to maybe mitigate the discriminatory effects. For example, many of the countries that Shona referred to there that have digital cert systems of various types, they allow people with negative tests to get short-term temporary passes. 
So there's no discrimination against people who can't get vaccinated for medical reasons, for example, mm -hmm. or people who choose not to get vaccinated. They have other ways of getting access. That would be a small step that would take away a lot of the discriminatory impact here. So I think at the stage we're at at the moment, it's a difficult position. The job of government is very challenging here. Nobody's saying that it isn't. But I think we do need to be questioning whether the tools that we're using are ones that are unnecessarily discriminatory, particularly when we don't know how effective they are. Like if we look at the nightclubs, this is a very difficult day for nightclubs. A month ago, they were told that they could open at full capacity for effectively full hours. And the digital search system was going to be the one thing that was going to make them safe. And here, four weeks later, we're told that they're no longer safe. OK, uh, well, what, what do you think is the sentiment, Pete, around um, vaccine passes, the idea that you would produce this, um, this pass in order to enjoy life, essentially? Well, interestingly, uh, I have to say the public don't agree with Liam. So the large majority of the public think that the, um, the COVID cert is a fair system. The large majority think that. And actually, it's interesting because... When we surveyed people, what we found was that people were more inclined to say that restrictions on weddings and funerals and confirmations and so on were unfair than imposing the certificate on people to get in uh, to indoor dining. Um, now, I'm not saying whether the public are right or wrong. I'm just telling you what the, what the public told us. But, I mean, I think as someone who's studied some of the behavioural economics of fairness, I think the reason for that is pretty clear, actually, that whether you get vaccinated is a choice. I mean, if you ask the public whether it's OK to discriminate against a section of the population on the basis of gender or skin colour or something like that, the overwhelming majority are going to say, no, 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 no. But in this case, it's a choice. Not for everybody, because there are some people who can't take the vaccine, but for most people, it's a choice. And I think that's why you see this kind of idea that that is more fair, actually, than you know, a restriction that falls upon somebody at the time they happen to be getting married or happen to have a kid who's going for confirmation or whatever it happens to be. OK, so the decision to extend the use of these vaccine passes to cinemas and theatres, now many people would have thought they were already in use there, but um, maybe not, not legally, so that's going to be in law now that you have to produce this um, vaccine pass in order to, to access other entertainment venues. Do you think that's a good idea? I think only if it's brought together with the measure that Liam has mentioned, which we have also raised, which is, is giving people the option that if they're not vaccinated, they can instead produce a negative test. I know in Denmark, for example, you can produce a, a negative antigen test in the last 24 hours or a negative PCR test in the last 72 hours. And um, obviously... So do you like, think an antigen test would suffice? In the last 24 hours, for example, that's, the, that's what they, they do in, in Denmark. Um, the... The point I would make is that we, we do have high rates of vaccination. Um, we got there because the public was largely convinced. And that's the case. The case needs to be made. The science needs to be explained about why people really should get vaccinated. For example, the point that Hildegard Nocta made earlier, you know, you see the anti-vax people saying, oh, sure, look at all these unvaccinated vaccinated people who are in hospital. But relatively speaking, your chance of ending up in hospital, your chance of ending up in ICU if you're vaccinated is a lot, lot, lot lower than if you're vaccinated. So we need to make that case to people. And I do think like the road they're going down in Austria is very dangerous okay. because I I actually think it divides society and it'll push those who are vaccine hesitant okay. into the arms of those who are more convincedly anti-vax, far right, etc. Instead, we should make the case for them in a positive way. OK, let's look at what the Taoiseach um, said today. Well, he said you can't rule out further restrictions. So we could be in a position that maybe lockdowns may be on the cards. We just, we just don't know. But one thing, Micheál Martin wasn't very hopeful today. We don't really know what's going to happen. What would you say to any further restrictions that may be imposed if we see numbers getting higher again? 
I think, Claire, the public have shown an incredible level of forbearance of very invasive restrictions on their lives in all sorts of ways. If a case is made to them of necessity and proportionality of particular measures. But we've also got to think about, you know, the future and when this is over. Of course, we've over 90% of the adult population vaccinated, a remarkable success built on principles of consent, voluntariness, encouraging people to take the vaccine, assuring people it would never be made compulsory, assuring them that the vaccine cert system would only be for a couple of weeks uh, and until we got to a critical massive level of vaccination, that has shifted over time. Now, we know now that we're also going to be asking people to take the booster, presumably voluntarily, over the next couple of months as well. That our success has been based on good quality public information, encouragement and the principle of voluntariness, respecting people's right to bodily integrity. Now, the longer then we start to coerce people through a discriminatory system, and of course, like most people have got the vaccine, so they're not too bothered being asked for a cert, but there are a section of the population that are part of this society too, and messages that demonise that, that group or blame them for a public health epidemic that's clearly beyond their capacity, you know, I, I think is a divisive measure that can cause long-term schisms in our society. Okay, uh, just on the issue, I suppose, of, of plans and targets and where we are now, do you think um, resilience has been a big thing that's carried people through over the last couple of years? Do, is the sentiment one of, of resilience, do you think, Pete? Well, the first time I was asked whether the public was tired... Uh, was, I think, in April of 2020. Um, and one of the things that's actually fascinating is, is, is our own latest data. We, we ask people every time, you know, how tiresome they're, they're finding it to cope with the level of restrictions that they're at. And actually, one of the things that's interesting is that as the case numbers this time have gone up, that reported self-reported level of fatigue has actually fallen a bit and people have re-engaged with the news again. And um, so, you know, do I think the public's up for a fight again? Yes. Do I think it wants one? Absolutely no. But we've got no choice. Yeah. And people are coming on board. And you can see that in our data, that people are coming back on board and saying, oh, God, have we got to do this again? Well, we will. And that's why I think it's fascinating to see that in just two weeks, we're at a point where if you ask that direct question, do you want more restrictions, there are now more people saying yes than no. OK, well, for the health perspective on all of this, I spoke to respiratory consultant Dr Brian Kent. And firstly, I asked him about the profile of those being treated for COVID in our hospitals right now. I think the profile of patients that we've seen coming into the hospital has been fairly consistent since the start of the Delta wave, insofar as we're seeing a striking uh, over-representation of people who are unvaccinated having to come into the hospitals. And that's particularly the case um, for people who are ending up in the intensive care unit. You know, we know that a very small proportion of the population remain unvaccinated, but about a third of hospital patients have probably uh, close to two-thirds of, of, of people in the intensive care unit with COVID uh, haven't been vaccinated. So in terms of the people that we worry about coming into the hospital, we, we, we worry about unvaccinated people. We, we worry about people who have been vaccinated but have acquired COVID uh, in the context of being on immunosuppressive therapy. So, for example, people who are on treatment for, for, for leukemia or lymphoma or diseases like that. We, we worry a little bit about, about those guys when they come in. And we worry a lot about pregnant women uh, and particularly unvaccinated pregnant women. They're, uh, they're a group of people who, who, you know, who, who causes deep concern when they end up coming into the hospital. And unfortunately, some of them get very, very sick indeed.
Um, when we talk about um, the pressure all of this is putting on a hospital system that we know is already under huge pressure, what sort of fallout are we seeing in terms of other services at the hospital, like for cancer, elective surgery? Are we seeing, um, are we seeing operations, are we seeing surgery being cancelled now as a result of, of what's happening with the COVID cases in our hospitals? So, yeah, like you say, I mean, things in, things in the health service are, are, are stretched often at the best of times. Uh, but if you're to look at the number of COVID cases in the hospital in isolation, they're, they're nothing like they would have been at the very peak of things back in the wintertime last year or earlier this year. Um, so taking an isolation, that would suggest that, that things should probably be OK. But we are now beginning to see that COVID is having a, a, an a real impact on our ability to deliver care in other areas. Uh, and it's beginning to impact on our ability to deliver elective care and elective care for really important things like, for example, cancer surgery. So that, that's a real challenge for, for our, our cancer doctors, our surgical doctors, for our bed managers, because the, the situation is inherently very unstable at the moment. It's, it's quite unpredictable on a day-to-day -day basis as to what they're going to be able to offer their patients the next day. And, um, you know, we're, whether that boils down to the number of people coming into the hospital through ED, the emergency department with COVID, or whether that's down to the weight of, of COVID care uh, on, upon our, our intensive care beds, mm -hmm. um, which can markedly, markedly compromise our ability to do other stuff. Yeah, so with all that in mind, what's your reaction to the restrictions, the measures being announced by government today to curb those rising COVID cases? Do you think they'll make a difference? Well, I'm, I'm not surprised they did something. I, I, I'm not surprised particularly that they had to make some sort of gesture on the, the night economy side of things. I'm, I'm not sure what degree of an impact making pubs and clubs shut at midnight compared to later in the night is going to make. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 such an uncertain situation. I have to say, I, I don't envy them having to make these decisions. There's really, they're, they're, they're caught between a rock and a hard place in many ways. Um, and it, I, I think we're, we're going to be in a very, very difficult place for a while now. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult to see the current COVID surge uh, abating in any major area. And Unfortunately, the knock-on effect on the hospital service and particularly on our non-COVID care pathways is, is going to continue for a while. OK, Dr Brian Kent, respiratory consultant at St James's Hospital. Thank you for joining us tonight. And we'll leave it there. My thanks to all my guests. Next, the Mr Moonlight murder appeal is dismissed. Stay with us. Tipperary farmer Patrick Quirk has lost his appeal against a conviction for the murder of DJ Bobby Ryan in 2011. A three-judge court of appeal dismissed his appeal on all 52 grounds. I'm joined now by our court's correspondent Deborah Naylor who's covered this case and Deborah was known as the Mr Moonlight case. Patrick Quirk losing um, this appeal um, for the murder of Bobby Ryan. Can you give us a background, a little bit of background to this case which really captured so much interest in the public at the time? 
It did, and, and the trial judge actually referred during this trial, um, she, she warned the jury not to talk about the case, which she said was being discussed by just about everyone in the country. It really did, I mean, take us back to 2019, which now seems like um, a long time ago, but the trial started um, at the end of January in 2019, and Patrick Quirk was accused of murdering his alleged love rival, Bobby Ryan, who was a part-time DJ known as Mr. Moonlight. And it was the state's case that um, Patrick Quirk murdered Bobby Ryan in 2000, sometime between 2011 and 2013, that he um, buried his remains in an underground tank on Mary Lowry's farm. Bobby Ryan was last seen on the morning of June 3rd, 2011, leaving Mary's house, Mary Lowry's house at the farm at Fawnagown in Tipperary. And it was Patrick Quirk who found his body 22 months later in a runoff tank. And it was the state's case that he staged the discovery of his remains. And it was the state's case uh, that he murdered his, his alleged love rival to rekindle an affair with Mary Lowry and also be because he was under financial pressure. Yeah, so there was a lot of intrigue and, and detail around this relationship and, and how it played out during the course of that trial. It was, and I, I think it was, it was a trial that everyone was talking about, and I think that was for a number of reasons, because normally in a criminal trial, I mean, in this trial, there was aspects of evidence which just would not be heard, um, you know, in the normal course of events. So we were given very, uh, in the words of Mary Lowry, when she took to the stand over the course of four days in 2019, she gave details about what she called was her seedy and sordid affair with Patrick Quirk. And really, we heard details in a case which we would never normally hear in a criminal trial. And, and to add to all that, we were told that it was a, a circumstantial case, a forensically barren one, where the, the state had to prove basically that Patrick Quirk had the motive to murder Bobby Ryan. And, and basically we, we were really given over the course of 71 days of evidence um, the state's case how Patrick Quirk unravelled um, and basically Evidence just that you would not normally hear in court. I mean, at one stage, Mary Lowry, in, in her evidence, accused Patrick Quirk of, of taking her underwear off the line. So in some senses, some days, it really did almost seem farcical, some of the evidence that we heard. But then you need to remember the, the really gruesome death of Bobby Ryan, who was, who was a local DJ, he was much loved. He was, you know, a father. Um, and, and at the core of that, his family mm. had to deal with the ramifications of this case. And e even today, indeed, um, the community in Tipperary is, is still reeling because I suppose another really interesting part when we go back to the actual evidence in the trial, not only was Patrick Quirk a murder accused, um, Mary Lowry, who he was having uh, that affair with, well, Mary Lowry's late husband was, was Patrick Quirk's brother-in-law. So it really just was an absolutely extraordinary case to come before the Central Criminal mm. Court, and we haven't had one certainly like it since. Of 52 grounds of appeal, uh, and they were rejected today. Take us up to the present day and what we heard in court today. Yes, well, Patrick Quirk appealed his, his murder conviction within weeks of being convicted by a majority jury verdict of 10 to 2. Um, the, the jury took six days to, to actually reach a verdict in this case. He appealed, as you said, on, on there was 52 grounds of appeal and, and they were very varied, but effectively some of the main grounds of appeal were they challenged the admissibility of Mary Lowry, who was the state's key witness, the admissibility of her evidence in court. And they basically claimed that uh, the prosecution tried to blacken his Patrick Quirk's name with the details given about their relationship and, and other financial details. They also... Um, 
um, you know, they, they challenged the admissibility of the validity of a search warrant uh, for Patrick Perk's home and during which they found computers which led to all the, the searches on his computers related to body decomposition. That was a key aspect of the, of the trial. And another aspect which they also challenged was uh, certain approaches made by the trial judge. However, in a lengthy document delivered today in court, it was 118 pages in total, will the Court of Appeal rejected every single ground of appeal. And they found that the state's case, although it was circumstantial, that when you put all the strands of evidence together, they found that it was basically a very secure rope upon which uh, the jury reached a, a safe verdict of guilty and, and they dismissed his appeal. OK, with all this uh, updated and new information as well, you made a documentary on the case that's airing again tomorrow night. Um, so th th and there's new information that's going to um, that, that, that viewers are going to see. Yes, um, after the, the trial, which of course, um, you know, as we talked about, I think everyone focused on the trial throughout, throughout the whole trial. That focus was really on the aspects heard in court. After that, I actually went down to, to interview um, Patrick Quirk's children. Um, of course, they sat through all the, the 71 days of evidence in the case, but following an arm from the appeal, we have now really dealt with the, all the aspects in, in this court of appeal and ultimately the rejection. Okay, thanks for that, Deborah. And you can see the Virgin Media News documentary, The Mr Moonlight Murder, The Trial of Patrick Quirk. It airs tomorrow night at nine here on Virgin Media One. Well, that is it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. Our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. But from all the late team here, good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.